Well, we've been walking through 1 Peter for some time now, and our theme is living in exile. Remember, Peter is writing to Christians who are strangers in the world, strangers in a society that has rejected them because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, as Christians today, we experience something very similar. Our way of living is very strange to most people in the world. And the life of faith comes with it suffering. And so Peter has reminded his readers of the hope that we have in Christ despite the trials that we face in the world. We have a hope in heaven where sin and suffering will be no more because of the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. But in the meantime, we're in this part of 1 Peter where he's calling us to live here and now in such a way that the world would look at us and see past us and see what God has done in our lives, that we would let our light shine, our works be seen so that people would glorify God in heaven. Listen to how he put it in 1 Peter 2.12. He said, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And so what we've been seeing is Peter's been walking through different spheres of life where, where our relationship with these Gentiles, these people who are not believers, where they would see our good works and through it give glory to God. And so the first sphere is with governing authorities in verses 13 and 14. He called us to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. And understand the context with which he's writing. He's talking about Rome. He's talking about a tyrannical authority. And he's calling them to be subject to those authorities. And then after that, he called the servants to do something very similar. In verse 18, he says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. So these are difficult, both of these commands, difficult commands to obey. Difficult for us to keep our conduct honorable before such people who are not honorable. And so to help us, he almost interrupts his flow of thought last week to ground this in the gospel. He puts before us Jesus as the pattern to whom we are to follow and also Jesus, who provides the power to follow him. Listen to verses 21 through 25. Jesse preached on this last week. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Understand the ground of the gospel that he has just laid before us in the end of chapter 2 is crucial for us to have in our mind as we hear this third sphere as he calls us to to live in a way that would cause the Gentiles to see our good works and give glory to God. We need to have the gospel in view, both the example of Christ and the power that he gives us so that we might 
live in a way that he would call us to do. And I think it's for good reason that he paused the, the flow of thought for what's about to come because I think this next relationship is perhaps the most difficult of all these spheres of relationship to live honorably in as it is the most intimate of all these relationships. You see, just as citizens and slaves are to submit to those who are in authority over them, so now Peter calls wives to do the same. Look at chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they might be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Not many years ago, I was a... able to officiate my first wedding. And there in that wedding, I, I, I exhorted the bride and groom from Ephesians 5. And there, Paul calls wives to something very similar. Look at Ephesians 5. Paul says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Upon hearing these words, one of the bridesmaids, right over here to my right, scoffed loudly in disgust at what she had heard. And everyone could see and hear her disapproval. But her reaction is actually pretty accurate and captures how most people would respond to hearing such a command today. Well, our text this morning, as I've seen already, is very similar to what Paul said to the Ephesian wives. Look at it again in chapter 3. He said, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Now, I wonder how you feel about Peter's command this morning. I wonder how wives feel about it. I wonder how husbands feel about it. I wonder how young people might feel about it. To many, this command sounds outdated, old-fashioned, instruction that may have had some relevance for Peter's first-century hearers, but In our 21st century ears, we might think this command is irrelevant. But if we compare this again to what we just heard from Ephesians 5, we see that the order of the home, that is the submission of wives to their husbands and and the husband's sacrificial love for his wife, the order of the home is not cultural, but it's actually rooted in theology. Christian marriage is a mysterious drama that plays out the relationship between Christ and the church we read in Ephesians 5. The way the wife willingly and joyfully submits to her husband as to the Lord. And the way that the husband is to sacrificially love his wife as Christ loved the church and laid down his life for her is the display of the relationship that we have with Christ and Christ with us. And Paul concludes his thought there in Ephesians 5 saying the mystery about marriage, this mystery is profound and I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. And so if you think this is just relevant for first century readers, understand it's not. Marriage is to display the relationship that we have with Christ. Now at best some might think this is outdated, but even worse, some would say that this teaching of a wife submitting to her husband would be perhaps even oppressive. And if you feel that way, consider two things this morning. First, if you think that Peter's command to wives is oppressive, it's largely owing to the fact that you do not understand or you have not heard what he is actually saying. So listen carefully this morning to Peter. Hear him out, because what he has to say 
is not just old-fashioned. It's not old-fashioned at all, but it's actually very countercultural then and today, both in the first century and in the 21st century, because Peter gets at the motive behind the wife's submission to her husband. And her motive is not because she's controlled or forced to submit by her husband. Her motive is not driven by fear of her husband, but rather the wife who submits to her husband in this manner is motivated by hope in God and a love for the glory of Jesus Christ. Very countercultural to, to Peter's day and so countercultural to our day just as well. And furthermore, just as we read with the, the submission of those who are under the governing authorities, understand these wives are free. They are free not to do evil. No, they have been freed from the power of sin that once enslaved them, but now they are free to do good. Oh, Peter, he's so ahead of his time, and he's so ahead of our time as well. But if in all of this you still feel like the church simply needs to get with the times, consider this. What has the wisdom of the world done to combat the injustice against those who are oppressed, especially in this case, women? Feminism? Consider carefully, does feminism lead to justice? Or does it simply tip the scales of justice? Does feminism extinguish pride? Or does it instead inflame pride? Does feminism seek to show honor to one another? Or does it seek to rise above one another? Does feminism promote love or hatred? Understand that the wisdom of the world cannot cure the curse of sin. So getting with the times will not bring about justice. We need something better. We need God to transform us. We need to be born again. And so if this morning the call that Peter has for wives to submit to their own husband, if it's difficult for you to grasp this, then hear the words of Romans 12. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, this morning's instruction from Peter is primarily aimed to wives. He spends six verses addressing wives and only one verse addressing the husband. And this makes sense in light of the larger context of 1 Peter as he has been writing to those who are suffering. Lately in view, he's not been addressing either the masters or those in authority, but those who are in submission to them. And so again, he focuses here specifically on the wives because for the wife in this context, for the wife to be married in the first century to a non-believer would have been far more difficult than for a husband to be married to a non-believing wife. And the same is often true today just as well. Now let me talk just briefly about how we might apply this text this morning. First, let me talk to the husbands. 
Husbands, understand that Peter does not call you or I to rule over our wives. That is not what Peter is saying. And so if that's what you're hearing from this is ways in which you need to get your wife to submit to you, you do not understand what Peter is calling to you at all. Husbands, there is going to be direct application for you and me in verse 7, so we'll just need to wait our turn before we immediately apply it to us. But for now, understand that if you tell your wife that, you, that she is to submit to you, then understand you are not leading your wife well. Doing such a thing will likely ruin your marriage. It'll certainly ruin the relationship that you have with your wife. And if you misapply this text, it will not honor Christ. Now let me talk to those in the room who aren't married. I realize there's a good number of us in the room that that would include. And you might look at this text, first to wives and then to husbands, and think, well, i gotta, I got to buy this week. There's nothing here for me. Well, understand, though Peter might not be directly addressing those who are single, there is plenty to learn from this text just as well and apply First, if you are single but long to get married, understand you should see here the qualities of a man and a woman that you should be looking for in a spouse. And furthermore, you should also see what God's will is for you if you are to get married and be either a wife or a husband. And so there's something for you to learn if you long to be married. But even for those who are single and intend to remain single, there's application as well. In fact, this layer of application does apply to every single one of us as Peter's going to show us not just the qualities that we ought to long to see in ourselves and, in, and perhaps a spouse in the future if you're not married, but Peter shows us the qualities that our Lord wants to see in us regardless of whether we're male or female or married or single. And so with these points on application in mind, let's get into our text starting in verse 1. Likewise, Wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. So here's the first thing I want to see, and this is just for wives this morning. Wives, be subject to your own husband. And it's really important that you understand every single part of that phrase there that, that Peter's just laid before us. He's not calling women to submit to men. He's not calling wives to submit to husbands, as if my wife should submit to a different husband besides me, but, but he calls wives to submit to their own husbands. And he goes on so far to say that they are even to submit to those, not just those who are Christians, not those who are godly, but even those who do not obey the word. And that phrase, those who do not obey the word, is meant to to be a description of those who are not believers. They do not love God and they do not fear God. Therefore, they do not keep his commandments. Now, let me clarify something about this. Though Peter is talking to women who are married to non-believers, Peter here is not giving permission for Christians to marry non-believers. It's important that we clarify that because the scriptures are abundantly clear on this point. 1 Corinthians 7, Paul said this, A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. Now that's true in all marriage, whether it's a marriage between a Christian and a non-Christian, or two Christians or two non-believers for that matter. A wife is bound to this husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, but not to anyone whom she wishes. 
He says, those who she, she wishes, but only in the Lord. That is to say, she is to marry a believer who has been united with Christ. Oftentimes people, young people especially, think the only thing that really matters when it comes to looking for a spouse is mutual attraction and what feels to be love. But to those who are not married, I want you to understand this this morning. Marriage is often very difficult. You can just ask my wife and she could tell you that because she's married to me. But more than that, you could see this from Scripture. The very consequences of sin has torn husbands and wives apart from one another, at least the desire for one another. We see this in Genesis 3.16, when God said to the woman, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. That's a part of the curse. Understand how much harder then it's going to be to be married to a believer who does not love God, does not fear God, and does not obey God. If your desire is contrary to his or his to hers because you love God and they do not, it will not be easy. And that's what Peter's talking about here. He's talking about women who suffer because they are married to people who do not keep God's word. Also, let me remind you wives that your submission does have a limit. And the limit is not whether or not your husband is a believer, a Christian, a, a fearer of God. That is not the factor that should limit your submission to your husband. But we saw it earlier in verse 13 when Peter said to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And so if your husband, ladies, tells you that you are to sin, you ought to say, no, I fear God more than I fear you. So do not submit to your husband in sin. But in other matters, ladies, you are called to submit to your own husband. Now at first, there doesn't appear to be anything countercultural to what Peter is calling the wives to do in the first century. But Peter is calling the wives to do the very thing here that the husband would want them to do. They're expected to submit these wives to their husbands. But that is not what Peter is saying. He's not just saying go along with the culture. Go along with what is accepted in the day and age. Listen to what Peter says. Listen to the motivation for why a woman is to submit to her husband. Verses three, chapter 3, 1 and 2. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that, this is a purpose statement, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word, by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Understand the motive for the Christian wives that submit to her husband here is evangelistic. The wife aims to win her husband to Christ through her respectful and pure conduct. And so why, ladies, should you submit to your husbands, especially unbelieving husbands? Answer, so that you may win your unbelieving husband to Christ. Understand what is first in Peter's mind here when he calls the wife to submit. It's not to blend in with culture. Peter's primary purpose is not for survival in a hostile home. No, the main motivation for these wives is to glorify God in their marriage and glorify him even when the husband sees her conduct and comes to faith. 
Now something needs to be clarified at this point, and that's this. Do our good works produce faith in those who do not believe? Perhaps you've heard this expression, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Is that what Peter means when he says that you might win your husband without a word by the conduct of your wives? Answer, no, not at all, not even remotely. The scriptures are absolutely clear to this end, Romans 10. Faith comes from hearing, not from seeing conduct, but from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So Peter's not telling these unbelieving, uh, these wives, excuse me, to, to, to conduct themselves among these non-believers so that when they see their good works, they'll automatically spring to faith. But rather, our good works and the hope that we have in the midst of the trial might be the very means that God uses to open a door for the word, as we're going to see in just a few weeks. But listen to, to 1 Peter 3.15. Peter said, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Understand that gentleness and respect. That describes the very submissive nature, nature of these wives, of these slaves, of these civilians who are called to submit, even in the face of trial. Because when we do so, someone might go, wow, there is something so different about you than everyone else. Why do you have such hope? And at that point, we were able to open our mouth, tell them the word of God, point them to Jesus Christ, who was able to save you from your sins and make you a new creation in Christ. And then you can offer them the very same thing if they would just believe in Jesus Christ. Understand, our good works, in this case, the, the good conduct of a wife towards her un believing husband, it will not save anyone by themselves, no matter how good our works are. But our good works might compel someone to ask a question. We might compare this to the tilling of soil. The word is often compared to that of a seed that is planted into the ground. And we know that it is very difficult for a seed to come to life if it falls on soil that is is full of all kinds of things that would prevent it from having roots that dig down deep. And one of those obstacles is the offense of a Christian who is a hypocrite. The offense of a Christian who lives a life that looks absolutely no different than the rest of the world. Christians who otherwise, though, would look down their nose at others, but in their own lives are just as rebellious as them. But our good conduct... I'm here for the wife when she has this submissive spirit that is gentle and respectful, acts as a way to till the soil so that when the word is planted, oh, there may be faith. Understand, if we never open our mouths the word of the gospel, people will not be saved. Romans 10, 14, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless someone is sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Oh, people need to hear the good news so that they might come to faith. 
But that doesn't mean that our life is not important. And furthermore, if, ladies, you do have a husband who is a believer, if the aim isn't evangelistic, understand that it doesn't change here. It doesn't mean, therefore, you don't need to submit. That's not what Peter's saying. If anything, it's all the more reason to submit to your husband if he's a Christian. Which means for us men, husbands in the room, you ought to lead your wives well. And we're going to get to that in a bit. But you ought to lead your wives well so that when they do obey you, it would be a joy for her to do so. Husbands, you are the spiritual leader of your home. You are called by the Lord to lead your family in the word and in prayer, to lead in teaching and disciplining your children, to lead in repentance and reconciliation, and above all, to lead your family as you are actively following Christ. Understand every good leader of his home is first a follower. So husbands, let's do this well. Now back to 1 Peter Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they might be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. And so wives here, they are to be seen by their husbands for Christ. But how exactly, ladies, might you do so? How exactly are you going to get the attention of your husband so that you might win him to the Lord? Well, this is what Peter goes on to clarify in verses 3 and 4. Verse 3, he says, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of your hair and the putting on of gold jewelry and the clothing that you wear. Now, is Peter forbidding all gold jewelry or all braiding of hair or all nice clothing? I'm wearing a ring this morning and it is gold as well. Am I disobeying the Lord here and now? Even though I'm not a lady, but ladies, if you have a gold ring on or if your hair is done up today or anything of the sort, are you sinning? Well, it's a difficult question to answer. Because it requires wisdom. It requires some searching of your own heart to know what the motives are. Are you trying to seduce someone? Are you dressing for the sake of your own pride? Well, these are reasons that your adorning would be sinful. And so if that is the case, then listen to what Peter is saying here. But what he's trying to do, he's, he's trying to show these wives how it is that they are to win their husbands to Christ. And it's so easy for a woman to try to win her husband through her outer beauty so that he might look at me and give me his attention. Young men, your turn for just a little bit of application for a moment. If you are being won by a woman merely because she looks beautiful, then learn from the wisdom of Proverbs. Proverbs 31 says, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. One of my favorite Proverbs, Proverbs 11:22, like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. Just picture that for a moment. If external beauty is what is winning you to a woman, understand you are getting into a world of hurt. And if external beauty is what you wives would use to win your husband to Christ, understanding your efforts will be in vain. 
And so Peter says what not to do. Do not let your adorning be external, but positively in verse 4, let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. So wives, how are you to win your husband through this submissive, submissive spirit? Answer, by adorning yourselves with a hidden and imperishable beauty. This is the kind of beauty that is often overlooked. It is not seen at first as it is internal, not external. But just because it's internal doesn't mean it's altogether invisible. This is the, the beauty that your husband will see that will make him ask, what is the reason for the hope that is in you? And it is the beauty of a, a gentle and quiet spirit. So it's, it's invisible to some degree, and moreover, it's also imperishable, he tells us. This is an imperishable kind of beauty, unlike our physical beauty. Oh, ladies, they're so concerned about getting old so often, and so are men these days. So many times we get so concerned about maintaining the fitness of our youth or dyeing the grays that are springing up or injecting perhaps even Botox to, to hide the wrinkles. But we know our best efforts to maintain our outer beauty is vanity. But unlike external beauty, there is this internal beauty that Peter says, it is imperishable. Moreover, with age, this internal beauty gets better and better as we are sanctified day by day by the Spirit of God. And so we could hear Paul's instruction to Timothy very similar to this. While bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And so wives, adorn yourselves with that kind of beauty. It is eternal, internal, excuse me. It is imperishable. And furthermore, it is invaluable. He says this internal beauty in the sight of God, he says it is very precious there at the end of verse four. Precious. In the sight of God are those who love him and fear him and long to please him. Understand this. The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So yes, winning your husband for the sake of the Lord through your adorning of this hidden beauty, that's a great motive, ladies. But moreover, if that doesn't work, know this, your efforts are not in vain because the Lord sees and he looks on you and sees something that is valuable, something that is precious, something that he loves to see. And finally, wives, you might ask then, what does it look like then to be adorned in such a way with this submissive heart towards a husband? What is this beauty look like? Well, you could look around at many women in our church who have such a beauty about them, but also Peter shows us in verses 5 and 6 what this looks like. Verse 5, For this is how holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good, and do not fear anything that is frightening. And so what this looks like, it looks like following in the footsteps of the holy woman of old. They hoped in God. One of the major themes that we see here in 1 Peter, what we have been reading every single week at the very beginning of the letter is the, the living hope that we have in Jesus Christ, which is also 
imperishable, unfading, and kept in heaven for you. They had, these holy women, they had their eyes fixed on God. They waited on him because they knew he is faithful and they knew that his promises would come to pass. And so in this, they hoped as they submitted to their husbands. And then he says this, he compares this now to Sarah, the mother of God's people. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. This is a reference here to, to Genesis 18, when Sarah heard God say that he would give her a son in her old age. And so in Genesis 18, 12, it says, Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I am worn out, and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Kind of like this verse, Sarah calling Abraham Lord. Look to my wife named Sarah. I'm kidding. But understand, Sarah was a woman who hoped in God. And even in the midst of a, a laughable situation where she was old and un unable to have children, she might even laugh and say, this old man, and disrespect her husband. But instead, no, she called him Lord, which gets at her true inner character. She was a godly woman and a woman worth imitating. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And understand this, ladies, you are her children, not by birth, but you are grafted into the family of God. And so you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Oh, how easy it is for a, a wife to fear her husband or to even comply with what is evil out of fear towards him who does not fear the Lord. But understand, ladies, you have no reason to fear and every reason to do what is good because your hope is in God. And so, wives, be subject to your own husband, so that even if some do not obey the word, they might be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold and jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Now, husbands, it's your turn. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you in the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Let me first point out that first word, likewise. Peter here is drawing some comparison to that which came before. This is the very same word we saw at the very beginning when, when Peter addressed the wives. He said, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Again, a comparison is being drawn then and and it's a little bit easier to see what the comparison is to what came before because he just called the civilians to submit. He called the slaves to submit. Now he's calling the wives to submit. And now here in 3 verse 7, he says, likewise, husbands. 
And yet he doesn't call the husband to submit. So there's a similarity here being drawn. And yet it's not exactly clear immediately at the very least what that similarity is as the command given to the husbands is distinct from that which is given to the wives. Peter calls the wives to submit to their husbands, but husbands, Peter calls us to live with your wives in an understanding way. Now, what does this mean? And I want to get back to what that, that similarity is, the likewise in just a bit, but for now, let's consider what he's getting at here when he calls the husbands to live in an understanding way. Listen to how the NIV puts it. The NIV says, husbands, in the same way, be considerate. Okay? Is that what it means to live in an understanding way with our wives, is to be considerate towards them? Perhaps, but I don't entirely think so. Not that I think we should be inconsiderate, but I don't think that's what Peter means. Listen to how Tyndale translated this. Tyndale said, Likewise, ye men dwell with them according to knowledge. So it's very different than being considerate to some degree. He says, you need to live according to knowledge, husbands. You need to know a thing or two. And so this is the the call for husbands this morning. Husbands, be informed about your wife. Know how to live with her in a way that pleases God. What is the will for God for you to lead your wife in a way that is pleasing to him? That is what we should be informed about this morning. And so, so know this. Know who she is and know what the will of God is for you towards her. Look back now at the ESV again at verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. The vessel here is a, a dish or a pot used in the home or around the home. And, and Peter's illustrating something here about women. And we might be able to illustrate this just the same by comparing perhaps the, the pyrex that we have in our cupboards with the fine china in the china cabinet. Oftentimes that fine china needs to be hand-washed only because if you put it in the dishwasher, it'll break. While Pyrex, on the other hand, can be thrown in the oven. It can be thrown in the, 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 the microwave, the dishwasher. It can be even thrown on the ground. And those things just don't break. So to likewise, he says, you are to live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Husbands, know this. Know that your wife is weaker than you. For some time, there's been this attitude that says, anything that a man can do, a woman can do better. And in my experience with my own wife, this is very true. This is not always true. And this has become all the more evident in recent news as we've seen now men competing in women's sports. And the men are dominating. And it's no wonder God made men and women to be distinct and different from one another. And this is seen in the way that a man is often stronger than a woman. Now, husbands, this does not mean that your wife is any less prone to sin than you. This does not mean that she is any less competent than you. In fact, in my experience, I find both of those to be the opposite. 
I have plenty of weaknesses. And so I often say that the Lord saw me in my helpless state and he gave me a helper and my wife because I was helpless. But husbands, do know this. Your wife is most likely physically weaker than you. Therefore, you must treat her and deal with her with gentleness. You must be a, a gentleman. And how much more so then should this be true of us, just as the wife earlier was called to be gentle? How much more then should it be true of the husband to be gentle towards the wife who is the weaker vessel. Far too often, strength is abused. It's no wonder that words like authority and submission that are here in our text are like taboo words in this day and age. Men use their strength by raising their voices or raising their strong hands in anger against wives and children. Husbands, this ought not to be named among us. Strength has been given to you so that you might provide and protect your wife. Not so that you would control and oppress her. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. And here's the second reason now for why she is worthy of honor. They are heirs with you in the grace of life. If you have a believing spouse who has received the gift of salvation, understand this, your wife is a co-heir with you in Christ, a fellow heir in the grace of life. So show her the honor that she is due as a child of God. So this is the second thing we need to know, we need to know men. Know that your wife is worthy of honor. Husbands, if you think it's your job to make your wife subject to you, under you, submissive to you, you don't understand what the Lord calls you to do. Husband, the Lord does not call you to put your wife down, but to raise her up in honor as the weaker vessel and as a co-heir with Christ. Is this not what Christ has done for us even in our own weakness? One of my favorite scriptures is Philippians 2 where where it talks about Jesus Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I hope it's abundantly clear already, but if it's not, it's worth repeating again. A woman's weakness does not make her inferior to a man. And God's design for the home with the husband as the head does not mean that the, the husband is greater than the woman. She was taken out of his side, not from his foot. The scriptures repeatedly, repeatedly show us that men and women have distinct roles. We don't need to apologize for this, but the scriptures also show repeatedly that men and women are both equal in dignity and value and worth. In Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free. There is neither male and female, for all are one in Christ Jesus, Galatians 3.28. The Lord, he gives the same graces to all, both men and women. So do not look down at your wives, husbands. 
Do not look down at her because she is a weaker vessel. The Lord certainly did not look down on you when you were weak. No, instead, he exalts the humble. He raises the humble. Listen to the the words of Mary when she heard the news that she was going to bear the Christ. Luke 1.49, he, that's God, has shown me strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of a humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Listen to even Paul's words to the the proud Corinthians. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Husbands, know this. If you are anything, it is owing to the grace of God. And know this, your wife is worthy of honor. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you in the grace of life. And here's another purpose statement. I love these purpose statements. So that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, know this, your relationship with your wife impacts your relationship with God. so that your prayers might not be hindered. If a a husband does not show honor to the weaker vessel, understand your prayers will be hindered. The, The relationship that you have to God will be fractured. Peter here is giving harsh husbands a strong warning. The husband, he might be strong, but there is one who is far stronger than the husband, and that is the Lord. The New Testament shows us the wonderful access that we have to God through Christ. One of those passages is John 14. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that my Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Oh, it's Wonderful to know that God hears our prayers. And not only that, but he answers prayer. It's amazing that we have this kind of access to God. And what's more amazing is that we don't make more regular practice of going to him in prayer. However, husbands, if you do not honor your wives, Peter makes it abundantly clear your prayers will be hindered. And this is going to be seen clearer in our text next week, but listen to it. First Peter 3, 11 and 12. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So husbands, likewise, 
Live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you in the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, in what sense is this a comparison to that which has come before? That's what I started when I was talking to the husbands, and I want to return to it, because I think it's clearer now that we've walked through the text. And I think it's summed up well in verse 17, when Peter called us to honor everyone to love the brotherhood, and to fear God. And if you walk through the text that we just saw, honoring everyone includes the wife who is the weaker vessel. Loving the brotherhood certainly includes the wife who is a co-heir with you in the grace of life. And fearing God is what would motivate us to do this so that our prayers would not be hindered. Now, in conclusion, this is a difficult passage, especially for some of us who have unbelieving spouses, spouses who might not be worthy of honor, spouses who are not easy to submit to. And it would be easy to just gloss over this and assume this morning that this has very little to do with most of us. After all, most of us here who are married come to church with our spouse. So it might be easy to assume that marriage is dandy. Everyone comes looking their best. Everyone has a brave and strong face, and so they smile. But I'm certain of this. There are marriages here that are broken. Even some that have yet to come to light because of the shame that is carried around marriages that are devastated by sin. So for those whose marriages are broken, what hope is there. If you're married to a non-believer, remember what's driving all of this. So that they might be one to Christ. The wife submits not because she has to, not because she's forced to, not because she's afraid of what will happen if she doesn't, but she does so in hope that the Lord might give her an opportunity to share the gospel. Understand that the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Paul adds, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that, me, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. If you have an unbelieving spouse, there is hope that the Lord might redeem them whether that's a wife or a husband. And so if your spouse does not believe, pray. Ask the Lord to save them. Ask the Lord to, to, to use you in your spouse's life so that you might be able to share the gospel with them so that they might come to faith in Jesus Christ. Pray for them. And wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, honor your wives. And if it would be the Lord's will, he would use it and bless it so that they might be saved. But that's not a promise. But even if they don't believe, understand this. We have a hope that is sure. We have a hope that will not perish. 
what we've been reading every week. It's what Peter wants to gird these suffering believers with, is the hope that we have in Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Oh, what a blessed hope we have. So Christian, all the more so to those who are married to unbelievers, Christian, hope in God. Do good and do not fear anything that is frightening for God is your refuge and strength and he is coming soon amen let's pray father we thank you for the work of Christ that makes it possible for us to obey hard commandments we thank you that Christ has borne our sin and we thank you that Christ has given us the strength by his spirit to obey. And so, Lord, may your will be done in our lives. May you strengthen the wives in here to, to submit with joy to their husbands, not out of fear, but in hope and in love for you. For us husbands, Lord, I pray that you would produce in us every good fruit so that we might love our wives the way you have loved us. Lord, would you, would you use our marriages so that we might be even a display to the world at what you have done? And Lord, may you protect our marriages and bless our marriages and be glorified through them. And so in all these things, we need your help. So glorify yourself in these ways we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.